Good morning, everyone. Jesus is now going to send out the 12 apostles on their first journey. You might recall a a while back in the Gospel of Matthew, I mentioned that, you know, when we're reading a gospel, it's kind of interesting to think about because Matthew, now he's he's here, he's with Jesus. So this is already after Matthew's been recruited. So he is hearing firsthand these instructions that Jesus is giving the apostles uh, to go and witness in Israel. Now, he's writing this many, many years later, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe maybe 30 years um, after this actually happened that Matthew's gospel is written. Um, you know, we don't know exactly if he took notes or, or, or what. We do know that God gave Matthew inspiration to write down the things that he wrote. But Matthew, although relaying what Jesus told him for the journey, is not writing it down for him anymore because he heard it and already did this mission. So now he's writing down, he's writing down for us. He's communicating to the people who are going to read this gospel throughout the future to learn what Jesus taught. Now, when we have a, a, a author of a book in the Bible, we, not everything Jesus said got recorded. It's not like um, God God gave Matthew inspiration to write what he wrote. <clears throat> He's going to say what Jesus said, but that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't say other things or that it was the only thing that Jesus said. But this is what God gave Matthew the ability to recall about what Jesus said before they went on the journey. So since Matthew's writing not for him because <clears throat> the journey that he went on, he went on 30 years prior, He's writing what God inspired him to remember to write for us, for our journey. Do you see? So um, in, in Matthew's remembrance and the things that he's feeling led to write, he's writing what's most appropriate for us to hear for the journey that we have in being witnesses. So it's both. It's both an accurate recording of the conversation with Jesus, but I believe it's focusing more on what God desired for us to know versus specifically Matthew because he's writing about it 30 years later. It's, it's interesting to think about that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so this, this is for you and I, I guess is the important thing. And I think you're going to see that a lot of what Matthew recalls and, and, and God had him remember didn't even apply to them anymore. It applies to us. He's speaking about future things that are going to happen that we're going to experience that we need to be prepared for. So take a look. Uh, Matthew 10 verse 1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That's going to be quite a power that's going to go amongst them. And, um, you know, I can't imagine what that'd be like to go through the region of Israel and to have that kind of power on display, not just in Jesus, but in the apostles. All right. Now, 
these are the names of the twelve apostles. The first called Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and his, bro his John his brother. These are all the fishermen. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and then Matthew the tax collector, which that's the account we're reading. James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. And here again, you see that that concept that I've been sharing with you that, you know, sometimes Matthew's not just writing about the moment of time he was in then, but he's writing later, and he acknowledges that here. So he knows, you know, Judas obviously uh, portrayed Jesus. So he's given us a past tense perspective. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. Now, <clears throat> let's think about this. Um, so with everything that I've said so far, Jesus, this whole entire chapter, all right, from what we're going to see out, what we're going to see now, is about preparation and taking the gospel, in, in this case, to Israel, as you'll see in a moment, uh, to the Jewish people. So Jesus is not yet in this season expanding the ministry to the Gentiles, you know, us. He's at first trying to take the message to the Jewish people. So we're going to see that. But it, it's instruction on when you're going out amidst the world to teach about Jesus, what's going to happen to you. And man, this is a, a really intense chapter. There's a lot of, you could say, um, very direct, maybe somewhat harsh, maybe somewhat surprising things that you'll see Jesus say to the apostles. And the, the question that I want you to ask yourself is why? Why does Jesus say what he says? And why is Matthew reporting to us this? In, in Let's just even say today, in the world that we live in, why do we need this? Why do we need to hear this? I want you to think about that as we go through. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. That was a, a Jewish sect that believed differently than the Pharisees. Um, but And they were looked down upon by the Pharisees. Jesus was not a Samaritan. But, you know, he you'll see he extends kindness to Samaritans in his life or talks about them positively. But they they don't believe in a resurrection. They also don't believe they believe in a different place of worship than Jerusalem. Um, there's a number of differences about them, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's telling them to go to the G Jews, the lost sheep. He's calling them lost now. And really, that's what's what's happening and going to happen with the Gospels. If they don't accept Jesus, they're going to be lost. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isn't that interesting? Because of the Jesus being on the scene and now his power in his apostles, he's saying, I'm already bringing a measure of the kingdom now. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not the kingdom that the Jews were looking for. They're looking for a ruler to come back to rule and reign and overthrow the Roman Empire. And, and Jesus is bringing in a spiritual kingdom now as we await for him to bring in the fullness of his kingdom one day. So in this spiritual kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. 
Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. This is really interesting. And uh, when Jesus is sending these guys out, he's having them go empty handed. And I think the reason is now when I say I think, you know, like, I can't interview Jesus, right, and get his exact response. So I'm just giving you my discernment on why you think. Now, I am someone who's done a lot of witnessing throughout my day. I want you to imagine for a moment if you were going to go out, say, wherever, Milwaukee, Chicago, Jamaica, I don't care, mission trip, right? And you're going you're gonna to go there to witness. If you have all of your own resources and everything you need, you will get a hotel. You may go out for dinner. And, you know, when you get your hotel, you might, ah, it's been a long day and you might kind of check in early. I've been tired and, and you sleep in your hotel and you get up and, you know, eventually you get moving and then you might go out and witness for a little while. And then, and then, you know, you're going to have, you know, you already had breakfast, Well, now you're going to stop for lunch you know, and then, and then you might wait just a little more and then you're going to stop and maybe you go out for dinner and then, oh, after dinner, I'm tired. I'm going to go back to my hotel. You see, if, if you can provide for all of your own needs, it's going to take you away from the mission that Jesus wanted them to have. So Jesus is, is having them go on empty handed. So they will be forced to interact with the people and rely on the people that they're witnessing to. But it's going to make their mission 24-7 because they're not going to be able to provide for their own needs. And it's going to make them more effective witnesses because they're going to be right with the people. Um, So I think that's why he sent them out this way. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave the city. You know, if someone extends kindness to you and opens the door to you, you know, Witness to them, um, befriend them, and very likely your ministry is going to be pretty effective to them. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. Pray for that family. Pray over that house that's blessed you. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Interesting, right? Pretty direct thing. Now, why would Jesus say that? Well, guess what? There's going to be a lot of rejection and a lot of people not interested in what you have to say when you are a witness. And so many people are thwarted or afraid to talk to someone in the world about their faith because they take it personally and they really don't want to put themselves in a position where they feel like someone didn't like them or someone didn't listen to them or someone got mad at them. And imagine if all of the apostles were like us and, you know, someone was mean to them or didn't listen to them. And then they're like, oh gosh, you know what? I don't like this. No one's nice to me. Uh, I think I'm just going to stop. You know, I I don't really, you know, but Jesus is like forewarning them. You're going to have people that reject you and you know what you need to do? You need to shake the dust off your feet. You need to not meditate on those who are not interested in what you have to say. And you need to move on. And you need to talk to somebody else 
Because if you just allow discouragement to set in and you stop being a witness for me, you're going to be ineffective. You need to learn the art of shaking your dust off the feet and saying next. You know, I often share this story about a, a vacuum salesman. And, you know, I've been a salesman in my life, so this kind of stuff makes sense to me. But if you were a vacuum salesman and you go to a house, knock on the door, and you ask them if they would like to buy a vacuum, and they, oh, you know what? I just bought one. Sorry, I don't need a vacuum. You're not going back there the next day and asking them again. That'd be foolish, right? Why would you go to the same house the next day after they just had a vacuum to sell them a vacuum? You'd be wasting your time. And, and, and Jesus is teaching them to move on and find someone that does listen to you Find someone that does welcome you. Don't spend all your time with people who've already rejected the gospel. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. And and so many times, listen, I, I know that we love our families and praise God for that. I'm thinking of my good friend, Anne, who just never gave up on her father and her father accepted Christ before he died. So there's a time and a place for that. But you you can't just keep going back to the same people over and over and getting the same results. You do need to shake the dust off your feet. Go back, circle back one day. Hey, you might better circle back a year on that vacuum uh, house. And maybe their vacuum broke down and they need a good one now. But don't just keep <clears throat> you know, going back to the same well. Like We have to look. The fields are ripe for harvest. Find someone else to talk to. And that's what Jesus is teaching them. Then Jesus says, For truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. You know, isn't that something? There is going to be judgment upon people who reject the gospel. Like the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how serious and significant this gospel message is and why it needs to get out. And those who reject it are going to pay with their lives in eternity in hell. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. We've talked about that. and heard a missionary talk about that just uh, this past week. But listen, I send you out at, as a sheep in the midst of wolves. Jesus is telling you, be prepared. People are, aren't going to always just bless you and everything's just going to go well. Some are going to dislike you witness anyways that's what he's teaching them we live in a day and age today where we we have so much um we have this view that it's like we love loving and kind and and there's not it's good to be loving and kind but like we just don't understand that there's going to be rejection and 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 not everyone's going to be for us and we have to get thicker skin We've got to get thicker skin. We've got to toughen up. Because if these guys wouldn't have toughened up, they would have just stopped. Well, listen, keep going. Verse 17. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Jesus is warning them that, you know, you might actually even go to court. You might even go to jail. Scourge you in their synagogues. That, that's, that's getting beat up inside the church. This is what's going to happen. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. 
For it is not you who speak, but is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Wow. Preparing them for the difficult task ahead. You know, nowadays, I feel like, you know, if, if I went out and witnessed or something and, you know, someone got really mad at me, you know, like people might think, well, you're doing wrong. You're doing wrong then. If people are getting mad at you, you're wrong. You know, you must be doing it wrong. And Jesus is telling them this is what's going to happen to them. Now, why is he doing that? And why is he sharing that with us? You know, I'm kind of saying the same thing, but this is what this whole chapter is about. Toughen up. Toughen up. It, it, you're, it's not always going to be easy. You might have to face hardship. The gospel's worth it. Jesus is worth it. The lost souls of the world are worth it. What are you willing to endure in order to serve Jesus? That's, that's what he's talking about here. Now, let's go on. Even more uh, <clears throat> encouraging words here. <laughs> Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Well, that opens up all kinds of eschatological and theological questions. (laughs) But see, Matthew here, isn't speaking about something that happened in this specific journey when the disciples went out two by two. But he actually is speaking about, uh, you know, they, they got martyred. I mean, the apostles got martyred, so this became really real for them. And they continue to witness for Jesus, even though they were killed for it. And it was probably these instructions that helped them to be prepared for that and helped them to be steadfast even when they were facing difficulty. I also think this is beginning to point to the end times and to the tribulation on how difficult that is going to be and how we do need to endure to the end to be saved. And that that was a big theological question, but right, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. That's interesting because, you know, a lot of times you will hear, uh, you know, once saved, always saved, um, you know, a Calvinistic uh, belief that, you know, one, if you pray one time, you know, no matter what happens, no matter what you do, you're always saved. And, you know, in large part, I believe in that, you know, and, and God's going to help us persevere in faith. But there are passages like this one that says you have to endure to the end, meaning don't don't forsake your faith later. Don't turn away from God later. Don't, you know, don't start the journey and not finish. Because here it's saying you got to finish to the end. Now, there'd be passages that would say, well, God's going to help us finish to the end. You know what? We're not going to solve all these uh, situations. But to you, to me, to the apostles, those who are reading this book, let's stick with Jesus to the end. How about that? Let's leave it at that. Whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And that's an interesting one to think about because, you know, again, is Matthew referring to their journey? I think not. I think he's now, you know, 30 years later sharing this with us. And he's talking about the return of Jesus, the Son of Man coming again. Uh, At least that's how many would interpret that. So, you know, sometimes there's ones that are difficult to discern. I'm not exactly sure how that one fits. I think one day 
we will know, but sometimes in this life right now, we we not understand every scripture and how how it you know how it or, or the timing of it being fulfilled because this makes it sound like you know they won't even leave the area that was once known as Israel before the Son of Man comes. Um, so, anyways, moving on. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher <clears throat> and the slave to be like his master. Now, I've been preaching lately, you know, God create us in his image and likeness, be fruitful and multiply. Um, and do you see what it says here? It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher. And that's what we're supposed to be doing is becoming more like Jesus. Um, we're not above Jesus, but we're supposed to become more like him as his disciple, his follower. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, now they did, they called Jesus being a demonic, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So listen, if they put Jesus on a cross and if they called him demon-possessed, think of the things that are going to be said about you. Why is Jesus saying all this? He's trying to toughen us up so we will live for Jesus no matter what we face. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the, in, in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> you know, don't, don't be quiet. Don't um, fall into this pattern because of fear where we're just going to keep our mouth shut and just kind of do our own thing and not be mixing it up with the world because we're worried about what may happen to us or rejection. Uh, that's what this whole chapter is about is, is toughening up the people of God to be his witnesses. Verses 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. <laughs> isn't it, isn't it something like, you know, I marvel and I'm so thankful for those of you who are going through this journey to read the whole Bible to take in the whole counsel of God's word. Because if you don't, you're only going to know what's been cherry-picked by whatever you know denomination or church you've been a part of in your life. You're only going to know what you know if you don't read the whole Bible. But when you read the whole Bible, it gives you a much broader, richer view. Now listen, Jesus isn't going to always talk about this. He'll talk like this. But he's sending his disciples out, and now Matthew's teaching us that sometimes it's going to be hard to be a Christian and to be a witness, and we need to be bold and to be tough and to stick it out even when things are difficult. Because ultimately, listen, we need to stick with Jesus to the end. He's the one who holds our soul and can prepare us for heaven or send us to hell. Now, it's through faith that we go to heaven or lack of faith that we go to hell. But if we shrink back and, you know, we could go to Hebrews chapter, you know, chapter three, chapter 10, chapter six, if we shrink back and just don't live for him, maybe we don't believe in him, you know, and, and that's kind of what it's saying here. Fear the Lord, live for him. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. That gets into God's sovereignty, you know, being all-knowing and all-powerful. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Isn't that amazing to think about? So do not fear. You are more valuable than the sparrows. 
you know, and part of what gives us the ability to have this kind of boldness in this life is when we realize this is not our home, but our home is in heaven, and that this is only temporary. We're going to die. We're all going to die. So if we die sooner by being a witness for Jesus, well, then we're, we go home sooner. But we're still going home and we're living forever. <laughs> That'll turn that frown around and give us joy when we, when, when we realize that we're citizens of heaven instead of we're just sojourning on earth. We're an ambassador of heaven. We're in a foreign land right now here on earth. We're only going to be here for a little while. That kind of faith and understanding will help us to face persecution here because it's only going to last for a little while and then we're going to be home. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Whatever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Now think about that. How does that fit into your doctrine? How does that fit into your, you know, to your faith? I mean, what what it's saying here is, listen, if you have real faith, you need to confess Jesus before men. And maybe people who aren't willing to confess Jesus before men don't have real faith because we know we're saved by our faith. But here Jesus is putting something to it. He's saying, listen, don't deny me. Uh, and I think he's he's preparing, you know, he's preparing us for a difficult life, maybe preparing us for the tribulation. If we were to endure that, that we don't deny the Lord, maybe that we don't take the mark of the beast, <laughs> that we stick with the Lord no matter what ha- happens. Keep going. Uh, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Wow. Reading the full counsel of God. Now, why would Jesus say that? Does he want us to make enemies with people? To seek to make enemies with people? No. That's not it. But what he is saying is this. You need to stand up for me. You need to believe in me. You need to, in the midst of your family, be a vocal uh, witness of Jesus Christ. And if people get mad at you or don't like you in the moment because of the fact that you proclaim to be a Christian and you stand up for Jesus, you've got to be willing to allow there to be division in order to be a witness. So many times we value harmony. We value harmony so much so that, you know, you know, we're not really worried about other people's salvation. We'd rather just have harmony. And Jesus is saying, listen, that's going to be dangerous for the church. That's going to be dangerous for my mission. Is if we focus so much on harmony for the sake of being silent, we're going to lose our witness. And, you know, am I saying just bash through your family and just try to make enemies? No. Be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. But I'm saying that silence, just for the purpose of being nice and never even rocking the boat, is not what's going to make us effective as witnesses all throughout this world. And Jesus is trying to say, listen, at times you're going to face people not liking you, even in your family. Are you still going to be a witness for me? Now, you can speak the truth with love. You can speak with wisdom. You can be kind. You may do it that way, and people still may not like you, 
And Jesus is saying, being willing, be willing to suffer for that. Be willing to suffer for that. Be a man or woman of God, even if your household is against you. We have to have Jesus first. Listen, this is not my words. These are Jesus' words. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. You know, in my own house, um, I've had to take some stands. And I'm grateful that it hasn't produced disharmony for the most part in my own home. Um, I mean, my kids are out of the house, so it's not like in my home. But I, I've had to take some stands. And fortunately, I think my family knows me and doesn't expect me to compromise my faith. And they know I'm not going to. So there's a level of respect there, and I know not everyone like not everyone's going to be respectful. Not all of your children and family members are going to be respectful, but I am thankful that I've been able to maintain my witness and what I stand for and call sin sin and call what's right right and proclaim it and 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 do it fairly often and still maintain a relationship with the people in my life. But that actually says something about them. I'm not trying to compliment myself. I, I do think that for even people who have disagreed with me, that, that at least they respect me enough or know that I'm sticking with the Bible, that there's, what are they going to say? So they could handle it differently. Um, but I've taken a lot of risk about how my family could be more divided uh, in standing up for Jesus. Unfortunately, it hasn't led to that. But, um, you know, my vocal opposition to sin is not going to stop. I mean, I'm going to continue to remind my family and point them to Jesus. And at times there's risk of division in that. But this is what Jesus is saying. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We need to put Jesus first. And ultimately that speaking the truth with love is what can lead us our family, out of sin and towards Him. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. See, Jesus is basically saying, you know, yes, you know what? I need my people to be willing to die for me, to be to die being witnesses for me, whether that be now or whether that be in the tribulation. It was true for the apostles. Isn't this really something to marvel how much Jesus wants us to be for him? And it's so culturally not the norm for us today. And that's one of the reasons why the world is so lost, though, too, is because we've we've lost our edge a lot of times as Christians. We've lost our witness for the sake of kindness. You know, kindness is 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 not giving up on people's salvation or, you know, for the sake of nicety, being okay that people are going to hell. Like, you know, and, and I think sometimes I've done that, you know. I mean, but, you know, here's what I would say also. You know, we, we started off in this passage 
to shake the dust off your feet. And, you know, I have some family, some uncles. They don't really, they don't seem to want to hear what I have to say. You know, they, they know I have a church. They know I'm a pastor. I've written a book. We've handed it out. We've given it to them. And, you know, at some point I do get to the point where I'm comfortable with shaking the dust off my feet and the consequences of people's lack of faith is going to be on them. You know, and I'm going to move on and I'm going to talk to other people. Now, at times, maybe we do need to circle back. But um, I, I think, you know, to not be discouraged that you have family that keep rejecting and to see who else you can impact is important. If we just, we're not going to be very fruitful if we just keep going back to the same well. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. That's comforting, you know, to know that, hey, some people are going to reject, and essentially they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting Jesus. And if they receive us, they're, they're, they're beginning to receive more of who Jesus is. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever is in the name of... Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Jesus seems to be saying that the kindness at which people respond to us for the sake of Jesus is something that he takes very kindly of. He thinks very highly of when people treat a witness well, when people treat a disciple with respect and honor, and he looks at them favorably for how they treat us. So we should look at people that way too. When people are willing to listen and we're able to be a witness and they're being respectful, Jesus is really proud of them for that. Well, listen, what a chapter. Um, You know, may it make us a more vocal witness. May it toughen us up. And may we just not take it so personal when people reject what we have to say and look for the fields that are ripe for harvest. Talk to somebody. Point them to the one who has the ability to give them life forever. Oh, Lord, inspire us through these words. Amen.